0: All right, Callum, welcome to the Founders Lounge.
1: Thank you. Thank you. please.
0: So Callum, you are the CEO of Reviews.io, Fullpicture.io and Poet.so. And I remember the first time when I cre- came across your Twitter profile and I just, you know, clicking around and I checked your profile and I saw what you were doing. And I, I clicked on all the all the three products that you're running. And I thought that all of them were really really cool products, really nice landing pages, things that are, well, at least two of them, I would say that they're actually not necessarily easy businesses. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, how it's going and what you think about it. Um, so really excited to dive a little bit deeper into everything that you do. Um,
1: yeah. So, so our main business is reviews that I own. Yes.
0: Let's we'll just start with that. Um, so can you tell a little um, bit more about what that is?
1: Yeah, so Reviews.io is a a review, collection, and publishing platform. Um, We work, specialize in working with e-commerce brands, and we help companies collect reviews from their happy customers. There's a lot more than goes into it than this, but we help brands collect reviews from their happy customers, and then we publish them on their site, on Reviews.io profile pages, and we also send them to Google. So the brands get these little gold stars next to their ads, um, which help improve click-through rates, And lower the PPC costs
0: okay and so can you talk a little bit more about the the history how how that whole thing started I think you've been running this business for around 10 years is it
1: yeah so I've I've been in I've been in tech for a long long time all my working career I'm I've been through multiple downturns you know multiple upturns And we started reviews for I.O. myself and my wife um, from literally our kitchen table uh, back in 2010, 2011. Um, And then we went to market 2013. Uh, And we're now at 67 people in in UK, Germany, Australia, and America.
0: Uh Oh, in Australia as well. I'm I'm in Australia right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: Australia's... Australia is great market. Um, we have some senior directors now based in Australia. Our COO is over there, and one of our big sales directors in Australia.
0: Uh huh. Do you ever come to visit? I'm really positively surprised about Sydney. It looks like an incredible city.
1: Yeah, Sydney's amazing. Um, we've done really well in Australia. We we had like a format. We went. The first country we went to was the UK. That was where we started, that was mm. where we, we, we founded the business. And then we went over to America. Um, we failed wow. the first time we went there. And then we went back a second time, and we made it work. And we then took that formula over to Australia, and then we've taken it that formula again into Germany. Germany's been a difficult transition, but um, we've got really good traction there now, and it's our fastest growing market.
0: Okay. so. Can you tell me a little bit more about in the very beginning? So you said you started about in about 2010, 2011. And how was the reviews market back then? Because right now, you know, we've got some big players that many people know about. How was it, you know, 12 years ago?
1: Yeah, it was very immature. It was very, it was like green space really, I suppose. You know, the the big review providers uh, at the time were probably Yelp and TripAdvisor. They were Uh the biggest uh, review companies out there at the time. You know, Trustpilot had just started and was still, they literally only just started and they were still in Denmark and then they moved into the UK as their second market and it, it, it was interesting. I, w- I was very, very lucky. I had Trustpilot as a massive competitor. They had huge funding and they went out and they kind of educated the market and I always thanked them for that. Uh-huh. They educated the e-commerce tech space about the need for reviews. Yeah, so yeah. I sort of uh, tucked in behind them uh, and it, it, really, it really worked. I, yeah. We didn't do the same things when they zigged, we zagged. But they did help me in, in educating that market, probably that I couldn't afford to do. We're still bootstrapped now. Um, so, yeah, it, we, we took a different path to probably all of the other review providers out there. Most of them went off and raised huge amounts of mm-hmm. venture capital, and we, we stayed bootstrapped throughout the whole
0: journey. Amazing. That's actually really interesting what you said, because th- there's a concept of the first mover advantage, right? That if you're the first in the market, then you, you know you have that... Advantage of time I suppose to capture the market, but I really think very often especially when you're doing something innovative It's more of a first mover disadvantage because just as you said it just costs so much To just educate the market. What's you know, what's the what's the benefit? What's your product? Why do they need that it can be incredibly costly? Um, And okay, so you said it took
1: yeah, it's been proven time after time that you don't need first advantage Yeah, sorry it's been proven time after time that um you don't need first mover advantage mm. you know you, you don't um as long as you've got a better product you you will win eventually tech always wins that's the motto that we live by mm. and so we just really concentrated on the technology behind the service
0: and was it hard competing well you said it was yeah, you said, it was competitive, but also there was also an advantage because at least people knew that. Uh, so what was your strategy then? How did you manage to compete against somebody who's, because it is scary sometimes, right? I hear that very often, somebody who's not, who's bootstrapped and they need to compete against startups that raise 100 million pounds. And they're like, well, how, how am I supposed to do this?
1: So, so I'm a firm believer in the more conversations you have, the luckier you'll get. So we went out to every expo, we went to every event for such a long time, and we just had lots and lots of conversations.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And some of those conversations turned into our first clients, and then we, we really delivered on the service to those first clients, and we really built the business based off word of mouth, as well as off our own marketing. So that was kind of our strategy. We, couldn't, we didn't have you know, tons of salespeople, and we still don't. Um, we do build off like a lot of referrals. It, it it was kind of delight that one customer and then bounce into the next customer, uh-huh.
2: um,
1: and that that was our strategy. And I and I, it's really worked. And I, um, if you're that smaller player in the market up against someone big, you've got to just get out there and talk about your product. That's all you've got to do.
0: And so, can you talk a little bit more about? You said it took. Was it, You started in 2011, let's say, and then you went to the market in 2012-13, so it took a little bit of time to build the product, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? How Are you technical enough? Did you actually build it, you and your wife, or how did you approach building the first MVP?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> we built a really simple MVP um, to start with, just to see whether it would work. And actually, it was... It, It wasn't so difficult, we went out there with a real, I I was involved in tech before so I I built several companies up and um, sold those and we, we really got started with this one really slowly, we built a really good MVP, we went out to the market, we got one or two clients interested and then we doubled down and we started bringing in developers to make the product. Mm-hmm. stronger and better than, than than our competitors at that time. And we still use some of that tech that we created, you know, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, because we did some, we spent a lot of time working on the security element in verifying the reviews that are coming in.
0: Uh-huh. And so one thing that maybe we didn't touch on so much is like, why why actually reviews? Like, what made you do this business? So you said you had a few other businesses before, right? And then you know, I guess you were looking for something new. What was going to be the next thing? Yeah. And was it just you know what triggered you? What 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 made you think yeah. that that's going to be a good business?
1: So kind of, yeah. It it was it was a long time coming. I, I you know very very early on. Uh, I I was. You know, back in early 2000s, I was involved in uh, e-commerce as a merchant Uh and we was an online appliances retailer called Appliances.co.uk and I kind of saw the value of reviews with that. Uh, We sold that business. We exited. We sold. And then we went off and created a price comparison platform Uh Um, and reviews was a big element of the price comparison platform. so. In May, uh, I think about 2007. No, May 2010. Um, Google did an update, which you know affected every single price comparison platform in the market, and they all basically got killed to make room for Google Shopping. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I literally went back to the drawing board. I spent a lot of time looking at the drawing board. You know, the price comparison platform we had was was a you know, it was a big business uh, and it got killed overnight. Um, and I really had to go back to the drawing board, look at what was working in that business, again, with a different set of eyes. Um, and, and reviews is what we came out with.
0: So it's interesting because it's, it's really hard when you're reliant on one channel so much right whether that's google or facebook or amazon i just i just read on twitter the other day there was one thread that maybe you've seen it it went kind of viral there was somebody who had i don't know 10,000 reviews or something on amazon that just disappeared overnight and he's claiming that there were real reviews it's a real product it's yeah. a high quality product but amazon forever for whatever uh, for whatever reason removed the reviews and it's like you know your business just disappears overnight basically right uh, and it's very often the same, yeah, with Google, either yeah, due to yeah. SEO, usually due to SEO, or with Facebook, right? Um, it, it, it can be pretty yep. pretty difficult, which... Um,
1: it, I, think, I think you've got to be really careful and spread your business. And you've got to... We, we, when we came back at, after the price comparison platform, we understood that we needed to create more technology, not consumer technology, but actually create the base, or, you know, which worked with multiple platforms. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we, were a, we were one of those people who got killed by that update, as, long mm-hmm. as, many, as well as many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Google actually got sued. They all joined together and Google sued, and oh, yeah. it turned out to be a £2.3 billion claim.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, right now, if you Google almost any service or especially anything local, not just the first screen, it's like the second screen as well. It's just Google, right? It's first the ads, then you got uh, their Google Maps widget, and then like a few more of their own widgets. And they're really moving more and more towards just owning the whole real estate um, rather than actually driving clicks to the website. So yeah I guess it's just something to to be aware of and to be careful about <laughs> when you're planning the strategy
1: yeah you if you rely on on any one source of traffic to drive your business you're gonna eventually hit some serious bumps in the road and that's that's a big thing you know uh, you know we're seeing that with s e o we've seen this with with facebook yeah. the i o s update yeah you know Facebook got killed uh, by by that update and, you know, as well as Facebook hurting, a lot of the retailers that worked on the retargeting of Facebook have been hurt. Mm. So, uh, if you rely on Facebook for your ads or your traffic at the minute, you're in trouble, Mm. you know.
0: You need to diversify them. Is that... So, I'm curious because now... Uh, you got two other products that are smaller from Reviews.io. Is that partially, is that just because yeah. you're an entrepreneur by heart and you want to create more things or is that also partially just to diversify, to have more, you know, more more products, more businesses, more different uh, kind of a safety net, I suppose, or what's the motivation there? The the motivation is that,
1: that they're sort of, Assimilation businesses—they're very. The Poet is a kind of a lead gen for Reviews.io.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: a lot of people like Poet, um, and we, we give it away for free, and it, it's really boosted.
0: Can you explain sort of a bit? Just what Poet is?
1: And my own visibility. Um, so Poet allows you—you you can post a Twitter your a Twitter uh, link into Poet, and it'll turn that link into a nice image of that tweet. It looks amazing. Um, automatically. And it, it, it it's very, very clean. It's very cool looking. And honestly, the people who use Poet around the world, I can't believe it. I, I look at the Google Analytics and I'm like, <laughs> how is this tiny little app getting so much traction? Um, it truly has gone viral. Uh, we're getting, it gets, used in Africa, Middle East, you know, uh, in Japan, Australia, every single, everywhere in the world, people are making little poets. Mm. So that was a a great product. And Influence.io is a loyalty solution. Loyalty and reviews go hand in hand. Um, And it it was really an add-on solution for reviews.io. We saw that our customers we're using loyalty, but they were quite unhappy. So we had a lot of customers coming to us saying, why don't you do a loyalty solution? We'd love a loyalty solution that kind of offered the, the, the tech that reviews.io does. That you guys, because the thing about reviews.io, we're always pushing new updates. We're always <clears throat> investing heavily in the product. and we didn't see that in the loyalty industry, in the, the you know the e-commerce loyalty solutions mm-hmm. out there. They weren't evolving very fast, and <clears throat> we just saw a gap, a gap in the market. So that that's why we we launched loyalty. Um, and we're we're discounting it. If you're a reviews.io client, we're massively discounting it, and it, it's kind of working like not a lead gen. But it's helping us retain clients, and it's helping us grow our customer base.
2: Mm-hmm. So it,
1: they all go hand in hand. There's no separate company that's nothing to do with what we're doing at Reviews.io. Reviews.io is our lead company, mm-hmm. and it, it's the heart of the business.
0: Okay. Have you tried, Have you yeah? Have you launched any other things over the years that maybe didn't work out? Because, I mean, we all know that that's the reality of entrepreneurship, right? I mean, you launch things, they don't work.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, um, we, we've we launched several things. Probably one of the things that we, we launched that I thought was going to be huge and probably, and probably would have been huge if we would have gone out and gone backing for it um, was an affiliate fraud detection software. Um, and that was kind of, when we was launching reviews.io, we sort of ran two horses back in 2010, was we built this affiliate, Fraud Detection MVP, and the review software, and the Fraud Detect, I if if someone would have asked me back then, which one of these is gonna be a massive business, I would have said the Fraud Detection Mm -hmm. solution, um, not the review solution, and it, it, I, it just, I just couldn't explain it concisely enough to um, get people invested in it. It was a very technical solution. And the retailers weren't interested really in identifying that type of fraud. They didn't see it as fraud. It was affiliate fraud. So we, you're talking about when one affiliate drops a cookie
2: um,
1: to claim that, that sale. And we noticed that there was a, a huge group of affiliates, actually, who were dropping cookies when they shouldn't be. Uh-huh. They, they, they weren't driving that sale. Um, and, but the, 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 the retailers didn't care. As long as they got the customer, they were like, is it a fraudulent customer? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it's not a fraudulent customer you're paying a fraudulent affiliate mm-hmm. member, and they didn't care, mm-hmm. um, really. They didn't care enough to, to pay for the software. Mm-hmm. So that, that business died, died. you know, um, and, and we stopped it pretty quickly.
0: Okay, I see. Um, is it... One thing that's, that I've noticed quite often is with people who have a running business and then they launch something else, <laughs> kind of a recurring pattern that I've seen is if they say that in, they invest very, very little into a new product, that product tends to work much better than in, than if, if they invest a lot into this big, you know, MVP. That's actually the scope of that MVP is way too big. And they maybe invest lots of time and lots of money into it. And then those attempts from my, I'm going to say anecdotal, I don't have any stats to back that up, but From my anecdotal evidence, they're less likely to succeed. So I'm curious, how do you approach it now whenever you launch something new? Is it very, you know, like a small business, tiny budget, small percentage of time? Or do you tend to go into more proper kind of building of the solution?
1: So I'm a big fan of launching fast. I I do a lot of market research, a lot of testing. So we launch things that maybe uh maybe too quickly sometimes you know i but i i think you can't launch things quickly enough so we'll launch things that um with just a page and a form
2: uh-huh. to out, mm-hmm. yeah, and we will
1: that. throw some ads at it and we will probably sometimes make it look like we've got the solution
2: yeah we yeah. just want
1: to market test to see whether people actually want that solution yeah. so Um, And that's the quickest MVP. You can throw an MVP together. You can do Webflow, do a form on Webflow, throw that page up, throw some ads at it, see if there's any traction. See if that is something that actually you've got to validate your ideas quickly. If you're an entrepreneur, you get, you know, I get way too many ideas. Um, And and you've got to validate, validate those ideas very, very quickly. And that's what I do now. And I don't launch anything unless I've, we've validated that idea. Mm. And probably we'll take that Webflow page down and after an hour, maybe a day, maybe a week. And then we'll go back to the drawing board and we'll contact those people and we'll say, like, look, we're working on this solution. And we'll go, you know, if we get enough traction very early on, we, we'll weather, we will then invest resources into that solution.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a very good lesson. I, I can't overstate that imo- enough. I think there are so many people who want to start something and then they spend so much time on the first version of the product, and we're talking months or years, right? Before they actually launch something and you, you have no real market data. Yeah. You have no idea if it's ever going to work. And then you learn after, I don't know, a year of building it, you, know, you launch it, nobody cares about it. And maybe through the process of launching it and through the process of then finally getting some insights and talking to some users, you realize, oh, no, we actually, you know, should have done something completely different. And then that's that's when you really start understanding the market and start, start understanding what the solution should be, right?
1: I, th- I think that, that there is a bit of scar tissue that you have to build up as an entrepreneur launching products. You have to build up that muscle memory that that just goes hold on i have to that didn't work that time and how can i get how can i learn that faster and first-time founders you know sometimes spend way too long especially developer first-time founders yeah because developers love to build things and developer first-time founders build 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 i i've had i've been you know trying to mentor a first-time founder who uh, he, he just won't stop building. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking because he's investing years and years. And it might not work. It might not work. Yeah. Might not work. He, and he doesn't even know whether that's going to work. Yeah. And I, I would, for me, I would have gone out, you know, because I've got that muscle memory now. I would have gone out and tested the market first. Mm. You know, go and do an expo. If you want to go and talk to some clients, go and get $2,000 together, go and stand at an expo and go and talk to your clients. Or go and join a forum or go to an event. But go and talk to people. Communication is key, but what you've got is that, you know, developer founders don't like, you know, as a general uh, group, they don't like getting out there and talking to people about their product
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they can learn so much more and they can pivot faster and they actually come out with a much much better product mm-hmm. and reviews you know that's why we moved so fast because we had so many conversations and we got the product we you know we go i'd go home at night and i'd be writing notes and 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 making sure the next day when we had our meetings right hold on this i said this yesterday about this and those conversations really build your roadmap you know you, I don't think you build the roadmap in your head you build your roadmap by having conversations listening really well yeah and then converting what you're listened to listened into a product yeah and, and that's the, uh, that's a real skill
0: yeah it's really hard to explain it. I think I remember when I first time heard that, you know, we've all heard about Lean Startup and all the methodologies and how you're supposed... It's, but it's so hard to actually understand it until you actually experience it for yourself. And when you see how, when you actually go out there and talk to either the experts yeah. and the users and uh, when you actually dive into the real market, how you start getting all these insights and you start realizing like, oh, actually... I was completely wrong, or nobody needs this, or I completely misunderstood that, right? Um, The the other thing that I hear quite often is, you know, the approach that you mentioned—just build a landing page and, you know, drive some advertising traffic and see what happens. And I hear like, well, but I don't want to spend money on ads now if I don't have anything yet. But the, the problem is that the alternative is actually worse. You're going to spend a lot of time, and then in addition, you're going to spend advertising money. And you're, it's still not going to yeah. be anything, right? You're still not going to convert those people, uh, most likely. For, from my experience, the first ver- version almost never works. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, if the first version works, I'm never. almost concerned because <laughs> something's probably wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean everybody, everybody kind of pivots. Everybody. I mean, reviews.io. Actually, reviews.io. The first version of reviews.io before we started speaking to people was that we'd write the reviews. And that seems insane now. We've collected 28 million reviews. And I was thinking back then when we started that we, as a company, would write the reviews.
0: Uh-huh. On, you know, yeah, we'd be yeah, professional yeah. reviewers. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: And,
1: and, you know, on going out and speaking to everybody and learning, that's a ridiculous idea. Um, you, know, you, you know, we was trying to probably compete with seen it and those type of
2: mm-hmm. tech,
1: tech, uh, tech blogs at the time and it only on talking to people did we learn that that isn't the right path. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know my best advice is get out there and you know talk, 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 talk. I know it's horrible and it, you don't its out of some people's comfort zones. The more conversations you have the luckier you'll get
0: the mindset shift that I had to do there. So I'm also, you know, I'm also a a technical person. I'm introvert. I don't, I like to hang out with people, but I don't like to hang out with people too much. (laughs) There's a, there's a good balance in that. And I think the Mm. mindset shift that I did, I made there is like, if something makes me feel awkward, then I probably should do it. If it's something that feels a little bit awkward and uncomfortable, then that's, that's the thing to do. That's not the thing to avoid. (laughs) And I think that was a game changer for me. (laughs)
1: yeah 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 100 percent. run towards it don't run away from it
0: mm. when did you realize then uh, you know so okay you've you've launched you've you've pivoted a little bit when did you when was the moment when you said okay this is actually working this is going to be a, a business
1: <clears throat> it was quite early on it was early on after we pivoted uh we got one client um who's still with us today, you know, they're, they're, they're with us now. And when we won that client, I kind of thought, hold on. This client is a big multinational brand, you know, billion dollar mm. business. And I was like, this is a billion dollar business taking a chance on two people sitting around a kitchen table. And literally, I did that deal on the telephone in my garden. And it 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 was probably when I put the phone down there, I thought, you know what? we need to uh, get some team members I need to build a team around me what am I good at, what am I not good at and that, that was that was really probably after that call when we won that first big client that we uh, we realized we had to um, this was going to be a good business and we, we had to do something about it
0: mm-hmm. nice and then okay so now today you said you, said you got 67 employees, something like that right?
1: Yeah, I think I think sixty-seven, seventy um, today. We're we're growing all the time. I lose count. Um, you know, I I just see people join the Slack channel.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. like,
1: okay, another one. Um, and yet <clears throat> they're all over the world. Uh-huh. So it it uh it kind of when they're all over the world, it is hard to keep track. We do have a HR team now who, who do all of that. Um, I. Generally manage the development team um, uh, and oversee the hot, really most most aspects of the business. Um, yeah, we're now at
0: sixty-seven. Six, and did you say twenty-eight million reviews collected, right? Yeah. And then approximately, what's your revenue right now?
1: Uh, it's about ten million ARR.
0: Okay. And so what were some of the major growth? I remember you tweeted actually about that recently. You tweeted kind of what were some of your growth, uh, drivers of your growth. What would you say, what were some of your major growth drivers or even growth triggers and moments, you know, throughout the journey?
1: I mean, there's so, so many that probably... our biggest driver of cro- growth at the minute is probably partnerships. That's that's the biggest right now. Um, we were never big on outbound. We were all about inbound. Mm-hmm. So um, it was all word of mouth. It was all really getting out, talking to people, those people coming in to us via referrals. Um, but the biggest growth driver at the moment is partnerships, definitely.
0: Partnerships, partnerships are our of what kind?
1: Um, yeah, they're the biggest at the moment so we have a partnership team uh, partnerships with uh, tech tech services so like the likes of clavio is our biggest one and then gorgeous and omnisend and and all of these different different really good saas uh, e-commerce solutions out there and then our we also have a partnerships team that works with agencies and agencies is a really good driver of our business we go out we 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 really keeping contact with those agencies a lot and we talk to them about who their clients are how we can help their clients and then we handheld those clients through through uh setting up their review collection and Uh publishing solution Uh so partnerships is probably my biggest at the moment
0: okay and so you mentioned you're mostly overseeing the tech team and i suppose the product product development right okay yes so one thing one thing that i'm I think about quite often is when to copy and when to innovate. I think it it's a, I used to be a hardcore, like you know, startup person, Silicon Valley, everything we need to innovate, everything needs to be an innovative solution. I've actually changed quite a bit over the years. I think that very often you don't have to or you shouldn't even innovate. I think innovation is really hard and I, I think that I've seen companies that almost kill themselves by over innovating because they think that every single thing they need to have a completely yeah. innovative approach. And, and that's really hard and very often it just doesn't work and it just uses a lot of resources and it, it, it kills you or it, you know, it just, uh, you just suffer through that. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you think about that? You know, when you look at your product, when you look at your business, when you think about what's, what's the next thing that we should build, how do you look at that?
1: I think you're right there. Um, some of the things we, you know, we, we don't exactly copy. We're not in, in, you know, we're not a company that, that does that, but I think looking at the wider market, um, you should probably not try and reinvent the wheel on some of these things. If you're a CRM, you've got to kind of look a, a certain way. Or mm. you're not a CRM you've got to do certain things. Um, and but then there's some things you can innovate on like you know poet was a great innovation um you know we've had some really really great innovation but but actually the core product is review collecting someone's thoughts in text photo or video and then putting them on someone's website and it's not rocket science Mm. But then you've got to add a little bit of innovation in there. You've got to be 10 percent, 20 percent better than anyone else in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and th- that's it. That, you know creating markets is very, very difficult. Innovating the actual market, innovating a new category is very, very difficult um, and very, very expensive to do if you have not, if you've not got tons of funding. You, and you're going to act in a in an existing category, then you've got to have some of the similar solutions to the existing category mm-hmm. else, else else you're not in that category. So um, you you've got to innovate, but innovate on on certain elements where you think you can. I mean, we innovate in a lot of uh in a lot of ways at reviews.io, but our core solution is similar to other people's core solution.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so how, how would you say that your position, so if you, Trustpilot is, pro, I would assume the biggest one, or at least in the UK, probably Europe in general, Trustpilot is very well known. There are a few other big players. How do you position yourself in that market?
1: So we position ourselves as <clears throat> friendly. Uh-huh. That's kind of, we're not the top tier. We're not the ones that you're probably going to go to first. No, you know, seventy six to eighty percent of our customers have already used the review platform and came to us. We're the person uh-huh. we want the knowledgeable buyer, really. We want that knowledgeable person who's already used another platform and now actually know what they want and then they come they do a bit of research, they find us and we talk to them. Uh-huh. we're super friendly, we're friendly on our terms, we're friendly on our our, our payment plans and we really try and Hand hold our, our our clients' hands so that they get the best solution, um, and that's really important. You know, we pride ourselves on having more developers than salespeople, and it's so that those we have people who can developers that can jump on calls and get make sure that, that you uh-huh. get the right solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are not going to be we're not going to be the market leader in spend we're not you know i don't have 200 people cold calling you know companies every day um that's not how we work that's not how we want to work we're not a call center we're a tech company um, and we work on, on on being technically the best in the market mm
0: mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. Is that a, is that a, easy or is that a challenge for somebody if somebody switches from another platform and they because they already have some reviews on that platform can they kind of export and import them with you or they just start from scratch? Or so it's, it's
1: all yeah no you don't want to start from scratch I mean what what you know Trustpilot and, and, and some of the other platforms out there make it very very difficult to quit you know they sign these clients into annual contracts that can only mm-hmm. be cancelled in thirty day period. Mm-hmm. Um, they try and claim ownership of the reviews. And so if you're collecting reviews with Trustpilot, Trustpilot own those reviews, not you as the brand. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: that's, that's pretty bad. A lot of people signing the contracts don't realize that. Um, and, and yeah, they make it as difficult as possible. But from a, from our point of view, we have to make it as, as friendly as possible. We have to make it as easy as possible. Um, so when they come to us, we, you know, we talk them through the whole process and sometimes, you know, we generally with Trustpilot, we advise that they leave those reviews. You know, they don't, don't move those reviews. Trustpilot owns them. It can cause legal headaches,
2: mm-hmm. moving
1: them. But actually, you Trustpilot's going to always be there. You want a good reputation
2: mm-hmm. if you're an
1: e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. And what we've got is a solution that really helps you manage that reputation no matter they manage it on reviews. but we can actually help you manage your reputation on other platforms like Trustpilot, uh-huh. like Google, like Facebook, like Yelp, uh, like G two, e- even the Shopify app store. We're we're helping brands, you know, collect reviews on the Shopify app store. Uh-huh. So it it it, uh, it can be difficult. Going back to your, you know answering your question, yeah, no, nobody wants to lose a client, and they'll make it as difficult as possible. If you know, if you've ever had, you know, the uh, New York Times subscription, try cancelling it. You know, like the <laughs> companies make it as hard as, as difficult as possible to cancel. So, and it is an ultra, it, you know, uh, the review space is super, super competitive. People don't realize this. This is super, super competitive.
0: That's what I was imagining. Yeah, that's why I said in the very beginning that I think you're in, in a pre not the easiest market. <laughs>
1: No, it's it's not an easy market. It really isn't. Um, it's a very, very aggressive sales market. Um, and we, we've we tried to stay away from that aggressive sales model because we think people get missold. And people overpromise. When, when they're on massive targets and you've got 200 people cold calling, they're all on different targets. And to hit those targets, they've got to overpromise and everything else. And we've just never wanted to be that company, so, you know, we're probably not the first choice, but we'll more than likely be your second choice, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing now. As the review market matures, uh, our stock goes up more and more, so that, that that's great for us.
0: So being in a competitive market... <sighs> Many entrepreneurs end up in a competitive market one way or another not everyone, but it depends obviously what you do but often yeah. often there is a market there is a competition so I often see you know business as I used to work here with a coach with a leadership coach who would always make analogies with sports and that's when I started thinking about business and leadership in general a little bit like sports, right? There's always somebody that you're, there's always a rival. There's always somebody who you're trying to win against and, you know, you you try to be better and faster and stronger and have a better strategy and so on and so forth. How, how do you think about that? Or like, I guess a better question would be how, as an entrepreneur and as a CEO, how do you look at performance? How do you, make sure that you and your company, that you stay competitive, that you perform at your best?
2: Um,
1: we we were very lucky that, that Trustpilot is a thousand pound gorilla in the room and they were super, super aggressive. So they were pretty, pretty litigious and pretty Bad against our company when we first started out. They'd say things and do things and sewers and do, do stuff that just didn't wasn't cool. But what it really helped me do was it helped me be a wartime founder, mm-hmm. and I was I was able to galvanise my team around a common um, a common enemy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to motivate my team that that we needed to beat these guys. Mm-hmm. We needed to hustle harder. We needed to work faster, work longer, work harder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we wasn't going to stop. And I, and I wasn't going to stop. And that was ultimately it. I lead from the front. Uh, and when you're bootstrapped, you kind of need that. You need somebody. You you need a Goliath. You know, you need somebody who's that big bad wolf that you you can all have a con common enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so kind of that, that was, that was my view on this, that we, we were really lucky that we had that. Um, At the time I was pissed. I was mad um, with, with some of our competitors and I, and I, and I still call them out. I'm outspoken. You know, I, uh, I'm an emotional person. Um, Probably shouldn't be as emotional, but I am an emotional person, and I, you know, call out injustice. I always have done, and I always probably will do. Um, so yeah, competition competition's great. Listen, do not enter a market if there's no competition, because it's going to be really hard to motivate your team into creating something that's super powerful.
0: Hmm, well, that's a good, that's a good thought right there. <laughs> I like that. Um okay, so that that's interesting yeah, you're saying um, motivate the team to work work stronger work, work harder, work longer, work faster um, yeah is is that is that how you look at your personal performance as well I suppose do, do you have any do you have any unusual like habits or unusual things that I do that you do or you know that keeps you on top of things every day or it doesn't have to be unusual just like what's your thing (laughs) yeah
1: i i grew i grew up in a house where my dad was an entrepreneur my mom was an entrepreneur i grew Uh up really my my parents and even my grandparents only ever worked for themselves Mm -hmm. so i grew up in a very entrepreneurial household now my it was a very unstable household in that one minute we, was, we had money and the next minute we didn't. Mm-hmm. And that was an awful scenario for a young kid to grow up in. You know, very unstable. In, in, unstable, not, not, uh, in, in business, I think my, my parents go through, you know, the, the, the recession in the, the 90s and the 80s and really, you know, it was either feast or famine. Mm-hmm. And I really understand that. And that motivates me. Um, I, I don't want to go through those lean times. Mm-hmm. So even when things are good, I hustle hard, and I I, I, I never rest on my laurels. And I, you know, I, I and I think that's a a great trait to have as an entrepreneur. I, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't go and look at the bank balance daily. I I, I hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I get up in the morning. And I and I go to work and 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 go to work hard. Um, yeah, and and I think it's that early early thing that's built into you when you're a kid. You've kind of seen it, and I. It 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 was tough for us. It was tough. It was it was feast or famine. Don't get me wrong. It was great when it was good, and it was bad when it was bad. But mm. um, as that second or third generation founder, you're you you. I really wanted to build a business that was very stable, uh, and that's, that's uh, that drives me every day. And I, I, you know, I have family and kids, and you know, I, I want to, I want, you know, I, I want to do well by them, mm. and then that 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 drives me on as well.
0: Very, uh, and I see that in many successful entrepreneurs that they have, they had this painful experience or something that drives them every single day because they, they've, uh, you know, they've experienced something that they they don't want to go through that anymore and that they, it creates an intrins- intrinsic motivation that just keeps you going, right? Because if you have... I think business is hard or yeah. can be hard sometimes and if you have some superficial motivation, you're just... Um, it's hard to get up in the morning and work on the things or, you know, work on the difficult things that have to be done to keep the business alive, in,
2: right?
1: Incredibly difficult. And to be an entrepreneur, you've got to love what you do because it's fucking hard. You know, you've got to love it. You've got to love getting up in the morning and and, and doing those hard things. You know, you've got to you've got to love it because you're going to go through ups and downs. And if you don't love it, go get a job because nine times out of ten, you're probably going to earn more money on it, getting a mm-hmm. good job and going up the career ladder.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you've you had some businesses before, you got three products now. Do you have any other ideas that you can share with everyone else? Maybe some things that um, you don't have time to work yeah. on or, you know, something that you think should exist and maybe somebody who's listening can pick it up and do it. One or many, as, <coughs> as many as you want to share.
2: So,
1: so I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate. My son has a really rare genetic disease and I'm super passionate about Helping people with uh, disabilities and helping people who are a bit a little bit more disadvantaged maybe than than you know other people so I think there's a huge gap in the market and um, to there's two solutions that I, that I think are out there that, that can be done so I think there's medical equipment for children mobility equipment for children with disabilities is is hugely, hugely expensive. Mm. And there's kind of like a monopoly, um, you know, duopoly, I suppose, uh, of two two manufacturers that produce the most uh, of these mobility devices. And they're mega, mega expensive. Like, you know, you're talking 10,000 to 30,000 pounds per piece of equipment. There's no secondary market for those equipment,
2: uh-huh.
1: those pieces of equipment. Um, they have very little value once they've been used or the child's outgrown them. And I, I think it's such a huge market. It, it, it's a, you know a billion-dollar market globally, and I think that there should be a secondary market for that equipment, especially specialist secondary market, not just Facebook Marketplace or eBay. But actually, somewhere where the, the, the equipment is uh, verified and maybe even checked mm-hmm. and got ready, and 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 it's a huge, huge market. The, the second thing is, uh, can I you think, before you continue, you know, can you tell? The, you the, said that
0: there are two large businesses we, in this space. Can you tell which ones they are? So if somebody wants to look it up, what, you know specifically what kind of equipment we talk, we're talking about, they can just look up those uh, those businesses.
1: Y- y- yeah, the 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 biggest is Lecky. Um, I think it's Lecky. Um, they're they're you know they're probably the biggest, and it, they literally do tubular frames, standards, walkers, these kind of things. But they're, they're incredibly expensive.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. And
1: it's basically a bike frame just bent. And and, and 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 you know they're the they're the biggest in the market. Um, and the other one I think is is Triton. I'll send you that so you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. But um and that, that's a similar thing so you've got those two brands one of them is based in Ireland uh i think the other one's in America and you've there, there's no resale market so if anyone wanted to look at a market that, that has huge potential that that's one of them um and, and the other is is really just uh just producing low cost versions of these these, mm-hmm. these pieces of equipment um because they're so incredibly expensive. Uh, uh, and I think that, that that'll come down. The other thing is is eye gaze. Um, we, if someone's very, very technical, it is it, working on a an eye, eye gaze solution. Eye gaze solutions are incredibly expensive, but used by what is that? hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Um, uh, and that's where you can you know, move the mouse with your eyes
2: uh-huh.
1: and then mm. you can do actions. But the the actual raw materials has came down, but the price of the product hasn't came down. So for a eye gaze sensor, is about £10,000 at the minute. Um, and yet it has the same sensor in that the iPad has in it, the LiDAR sensor that the iPad has in it, that you can buy for, you know, $600. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So
1: um there's a big mismatch in between pricing and uh, uh and the raw materials costs mm-hmm. so that uh, huge margin business uh and these companies are running too much and it's not not disrupted uh, they're still using fax machines to communicate and if anybody's using a fax machine to communicate they deserve to be
2: disrupted
0: uh i actually know somebody who would I think you have the right skills to work on on that. Um, I need to let him know. Well, I'll just send him the the episode, mm. and uh, I'll see if he wants to pick yeah, something. Yeah, like I,
1: I mean, if you've got anybody who wants to work on it, if, if anybody out there wants to work on it, get in touch with me. I'll, I'll I want to be involved. You know, whether that's by financing or 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 actually counseling and doing some of the work. You know, I want to be involved.
0: Perfect. I'll I'll let you know um, if he's interested. Uh, he, I think he does have the right cool. skill set. Uh, he's done similar things in the past. Um, I'll see if he's interested. But yeah, I, I love also the kind of idea that's, that's exactly the kind of insight yeah, cool. that, you know, to somebody who didn't have an experience with that, you don't even know that that market exists, right? It's just, it's something that's not, um, you know, if you're not dealing yeah. with that, you don't know that that's a thing. You don't know that that's a problem. Um, and, and that's, that's perfect. And getting this kind of idea out there. So that. It, somebody can pick it up and actually work on that and dive into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No problem.
0: Cool. Um, Calum, I think we can, we can wrap up at this point. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Re- awesome. Really enjoyed the conversation really enjoyed getting to know you uh, a little bit more. And, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks Matisse. Thank you for, uh,
1: having me on the, Podcast today, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll drop you the show notes, uh, some notes, so you can put in the show notes. Yeah, about the the, the two bands.
0: Exactly, we'll add that in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. All right. Uh, oh, by oh. the way, before I forget, so Thanks anyone for anyone who actually listened until the yeah. end, uh, that's more for the listeners than for for you. But we kind of changed the podcast a lot recently. Uh, the language has changed, the name has changed, the format has changed. So. If anyone wants to shoot me a message, please let me know what you th- what you think. How do you like this new approach? Uh, I'd love to hear any feedback, uh, just so that we know if that's the direction that we should go towards, or you know, what are your thoughts? I'd love to know either in private on whatever Twitter, LinkedIn. Instagram, find me somewhere, or publicly, obviously, any reviews on uh, on the App Store um, or on, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, that also helps uh, to get some more views as well. So I'd really appreciate that. All right. Thanks.
2: Thank you.